Welcome to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont from DuPont Wealth Solutions. As a practicing advisor and attorney, Greg teaches pre-retirees how to reduce debt and taxes and save with less risk so they have more spendable income and plan their way to a better life. Join us for this journey where Greg draws on years of experience and guest experts to help listeners achieve more spendable income for retirement. Hello, and welcome to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont with DuPont Wealth Solutions. Greg, how are you? Eric, I am doing fantastic this morning. You know, summer's almost over, and uh, you know, I'm, ready to, I'm ready for football season to kick in. Yeah, that would be nice. I, I'm, I've been waiting. There's not very many things we're looking forward to these days. I don't know if that's negative or positive, but we, we've seen interest rates. We've seen inflation. We've seen things that we don't want to see. Let's, let's see some football. Let's it's, see some things we want to see. In, in the, uh, the words of the late, great, oh, shoot, who was the guy? Who was it for Monday Night Football? Are you ready for some football? Oh, yeah, I don't know who that was. How about a little bit less pumpkin spice, though, this year? Uh, (laughs) And that is your guest speaking up, uh, joining the conversation. Who'd you bring on the show, Greg? You know, I am. I'm very happy to be able to bring on Jason uh, for a conversation today. Uh, Jason Pichel is one of my one of my strategic partners that we work with, um, uh, specifically through my Ohio Tax Advocates Group. Uh, Jason is from Alternative Wealth Management, uh, and Jason specializes in uh, tax mitigation strategies, uh, specifically the tools that we can bring in to, uh, to bear to, um, to reduce your tax obligations. So Jason's going to share some good information with us, so much good information that uh, we're going to actually do this over two sessions today, Eric. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. Jason, if we get started just by, uh, if you'd introduce yourself to the folks out here and tell a little bit about your background and, and what it is Alternative Wealth Management does. Well, first off, thanks for having me today, Greg. I appreciate uh, being a guest on your show. Alternative wealth management, as the name implies, it's an alternative way to look at your wealth and finances. A lot of folks focus on their performance and returns and how to maximize the gains on their stock portfolio and bond portfolio, where we, we first take a look at how to protect your assets by not paying as much in taxes and we call that the risk-free return. The less you can pay in taxes, that starts your base and then focus on gaining traction and growing that portfolio. So a little bit about myself, I've been in the industry for 30 years and I worked for a lot of the major companies that were product sponsors, developing programs and rolling them out to the public. And I helped to design a few that were tax advantaged and kind of evolved into a specialty where we focused on the internal revenue code and different uh, tax advantages that the government uses to incentivize private sector investment. You know, the government doesn't just like to hand out tax breaks and particularly right now, you'll find they're trying to figure out any way to raise more tax revenues. And so when you do see a tax advantaged uh, tax code, it's really because they are trying to gain sector support, the private sector for environmental initiatives such as conservation, uh, social initiatives uh, that we could talk about opportunity zones and ways to, en- to enhance and help impoverished communities. Uh, business continuity, where they're trying to help businesses from you know, altering their uh, functionality of transition of assets and economic growth. And those are the key drivers of 
why there are tax incentives. You know, it's it's interesting when you think about the the financial advisory world. You you go a hundred miles in any direction from where you are as a listener, where where you are or Jason, where I am, and and you'll come across how many uh, financial advisors you, you, you name the number, I'm going to say thousands, right. Uh, and all of them, but maybe a very small percentage uh, are focusing on, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, you know, your, if your income pot, only about 10% goes to savings uh, and 40% goes to taxes. And so what, uh, what tools that people like Jason bring to the conversation allow you to, you know, shift some of that 40% that is going to taxes writ large and increase the savings pot instead of fighting over just that 10% uh, that people have saved. And so what we're going to do today is, um, you know, there are kind of our two phases to this that, that Jason and I are going to try to, try to walk through for the listener. Uh, the, this first podcast, we're going to talk about ways that we can preserve our capital once we have had it build up and had it grow. Uh, and then that's what we're going to talk about first. And then the second episode today that we're recording, um, we're going to talk about the ways that we can uh, mitigate the impact of taxes on income. So, Jason, if, if, if you could just kind of um, you know, set the table for us, you know, uh, you know, we've got lots of people out there that have investments that they have. They've, they're, they're in their non-qualified portfolios, meaning it's not, it's not in your retirement account. You've got in a basic brokerage account or something like that, and you've got some capital gain in there. And you're feeling like, wow, maybe this thing has uh, run out of steam and I want to get rid of this old company because we all know if we pay attention to the market that – what was yesterday's blue chip is not going to be tomorrow's blue chip necessarily. So we want to maybe reposition that, but boy, Uncle Sam's going to take a big chunk out of that. Uh, or uh, you're somebody out there that's been an alternative investor and invested in real estate and those type of things, and you're tired of it. You want to get out, no more landlord life, but how do I get out now that I've had this fully depreciated property that uh, I've got this big recapture tax and all kind of stuff on? So so, Jason, I guess that's a big opening for you to drive right through on, you know, how do we deal with mitigating the impact of capital gain when we have highly appreciated property, be it market property or real estate property? Uh, what, what type of strategies uh, can people come, through, come to through you know, a group like your own? Well, sure. You know, capital gains are a little bit different than ordinary income and how income is taxed because capital gains are actually pulled out and set aside at a different tax rate. And usually it's 15 or 20% tax. Uh, and there's a lot of things that can trigger a capital gain. We call it capital transitions. It's money in motion that's transitioning from one investment uh, holding or company or business and moving on into a different fashion. And once you sell an asset, typically that's going to trigger a capital gains tax if it's appreciated and you have a capital gain. And so there are several different strategies depending on the type of asset that's really the key. <clears throat> what is the assets that, that being sold? Is it real estate? Real estate falls under one grouping where you're able to do what's called a 1031 exchange after the Internal Revenue Code 1031. And it allows you to sell an investment real estate property 
Now, uh, you got to differ that from your primary residence, that doesn't count, or a vacation home, that doesn't count. But if, if it's an investment property where it is owned for the purpose of generating investment income, typically you can do a 1031 exchange where you sell an asset and within the allotted time frame, you can acquire a new asset and defer the tax on that. You're basically continuing to kick the can down the road uh, on the taxation and your cost basis, which is the amount that you paid for the property, plus any additional cash that you put in to develop the property carries forward as long as you continue doing a 1031 exchange. And so potentially if you're a real estate owner, you've got a growing mountain of capital gains that uh, hopefully your asset continues to appreciate over time. But what 1031 allows you to do is skip two different properties if you're using a qualified intermediary who's a third party that holds the assets upon the sale and uh, goes into the, to the next asset and following the guidelines, you're able to continue to defer the tax on a 1031 exchange basically indefinitely. And ultimately, if you pass away, your beneficiaries get a step up in cost basis and essentially permanently eliminate the tax on that asset. So that is one uh, type of program. And, um, and so let's say you've done 1031 exchanges. Uh, you've, you've kind of gone up market. You know, I've seen this with clients all the time. You start with a uh, little single family, maybe duplexes, and then they maybe go into multifamily apartments, and all that type of stuff. Keep moving up the food chain through 1031s. Um, if you've played that game long enough and you want to diversify out of real estate and don't want to get into the next real estate, uh, then uh, that's where the, the DST comes in, right? Well, a DST, that's an acronym for a, a Delaware Statutory Trust, allows you to facilitate a 1031 exchange. And really, it's a, a great solution for individuals who no longer want to manage their assets. You know, the people that we work with, they've worked really hard. They've owned duplexes and actively managed their properties for several decades. They've done well. Uh, it's appreciated. And now they're sitting on a mountain of capital gains that if they sell that, it's going to trigger a big tax. And, you know, it's not just capital gains tax, Greg. You've got uh, state tax. You've got federal tax. Uh, you've got if you've de depreciated your property over the holding period, which everybody does, uh, you recapture that at a flat 25 percent tax rate because the government says, well, wait, we've been giving you a break, assuming the assets reducing in value. And now we want that back because you've sold it at a profit. So we're talking upwards of a 30 to 40% loss of capital based on the taxation. So a DST is a professionally managed program. We call it fractional ownership of real estate. Simply put, it's a trust. It's an entity that holds a piece of property that allows investors to pool their capital to acquire properties that otherwise they couldn't afford, but also get professionally managed. So uh, we call it mailbox money. They're literally just getting direct deposits into their bank account every month. And it comes in all different flavors, multifamily. Uh, that's the other benefit is diversification. You could buy multifamily, self-storage, industrial properties, net lease properties. And so with a $100,000 minimum investment threshold, you can take an asset uh, investment and really diversify across a lot of different property types and geographies. 
So if I recall correctly with, with the 1031, uh, it has to be like kind property, right? Uh, residential for residential, commercial for commercial, that type of stuff. Uh, but with the DST, you can diversify out of that. So if you've got, um, this is a question, a statement. So if I've got a residential portfolio or a portfolio of, of uh, self-storage and I want to stop doing that, can I put the proceeds into a, through a 1031 into a DST, uh, regardless of that like kind uh, restriction uh, outside of that? Yeah. So, Greg, that's a really common misperception, which is the definition of like kind. So like kind doesn't mean that you're selling a multifamily and have to buy a multifamily. That would be pretty prohibitive. Uh, like kind just means you're going from investment property to investment property. And so it allows you to go into a multitude of different types of property, which is one of the benefits. And uh, a lot of people do have multifamily properties and we can exchange them into a vast uh, you know, portfolio of multifamily, industrial and different types of properties. Gotcha. So, um, and just to be precise, uh, when we say investment properties in that context, we're talking about investment real estate properties. We are. And, you know, it's just characterized as the, the property is owned for investment purposes, meaning it's not your primary residence for the most part. But also, if it is a vacation home, the rule is, I think you, you can't use it yourself for, 14 day, for more than 14 days. You need to rent it out primarily. Gotcha. So in, t- in terms of capital transition tax reduction strategies, we've talked about the 1031. We've talked about the, the Delaware Statutory Trust. Uh, what other tools are out there for uh, capital uh, reduction or capital gains reduction and transition? So real estate really falls under that 1031 nicely. And DST is just one of the options to facilitate a 1031. If it's not real estate, you can't do a 1031. And think about all the different things that fall under it's not real estate. I, I like to point out like uh, a dentist who bought into a practice uh, 30 years ago when they started their business. Uh, <clears throat> and now they're retiring and collectively they're selling their business. Uh, that actually could be a two-part transaction where maybe the actual building they were in, they uh, could do a 1031, but the appreciation on the business themselves when they go to sell it to junior dentists who are looking to acquire a practice, they're going to have a monstrous capital gain on that business sale. So we work a lot with privately held companies. Uh, like to your point, it could be someone who had uh, the foresight of putting a couple hundred thousand into Apple stock, and now it's worth a, a million plus. And so they've got an $800,000 capital gain that's going to really be a, a difficult uh pill to swallow in a single year on a capital gains tax. And so they, a lot of folks with those highly appreciated concentrated positions are really captive with that because they don't want to incur the tax. So along came what's called the uh, Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund. And this came out, I believe, about seven or eight years ago. And it was actually uh, a, a group that was in Silicon Valley that initiated this and proposed it to Congress. I think uh, one of the one of the gentlemen was uh, one of the founders of Napster and some of the other high tech companies, and they had that situation where they were sitting on a mountain of capital gains, 
and they wanted to do some uh, societal good with their money. And so they lobbied to have the ability to take the capital gain, roll it into neighborhoods that uh, needed some capital infusion because perhaps they were a little impoverished or they didn't have the capital going into it for the growth and economic uh, stability that some of the other communities had. And so they worked with some folks in Congress to pass a bill that uh, created what are called opportunity zones. And opportunity zones are in every single one of the 50 states. When they created this, they went out to the governors and said, you have a certain percentage of your state that you can identify as opportunity zones, which need some capital infusion. And there were three primary benefits when the tax law came out. The first is deferral of your capital gain. And so basically, if you triggered a capital gain this year, it would move from this year's balance sheet until 2026. And then it would resurface in 2026. And when you paid your tax in 2027, that's when you had to catch up with your capital gains tax. But the first component was deferral. Uh, the second component, which had a sunset at the end of the last year, was a step up in cost basis. And the reason I mention it now is I'm going to talk a little bit about proposed legislation that will reenact and reinvigorate uh, some of these laws that we think are going to pass a little bit later this year. Uh, so the step up in cost basis, if you were in an opportunity zone fund for five years, you got a 10% step up. If you were in it for seven years, you received another 5% step up for a total of 15. And so put another way, if you had a a million dollar capital gain that you rolled in, that would be $150,000 that it would discount it. So you'd only end up paying tax on $850,000. So it would provide a, a good discount to investors. And by the way, you're not rolling in like real estate, the entire amount. With real estate in a 1031 exchange, you're rolling the entire proceeds into the next transaction. With the Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund, you're stripping off only the capital gain portion, and that is what rolls in, freeing up your cost basis now to spend uh, without triggering that tax consequence. Now, the last benefit, which to me is the greatest, is uh, think of it like a Roth IRA. The actual investments that are made within these opportunity zones are typically real estate developments, but they could also be companies that are located in opportunity zones. Uh, and so typically they're pretty high uh, return profile investments and the actual returns and gains on the investments themselves. If you're in the fund for 10 years, they come out the back end 100% tax free. So you never end up paying the tax on the gains of the investments themselves. So, uh, so yeah. uh, do I understand correctly that with that opportunity zone fund, so the, um, uh, the, the each state's governors declare the areas where they are. Uh, and if I wanted to invest in a, well, a brew pub that's located in one of the opportunity zones, then that is a can be a qualified opportunity zone investment if it's done the right way, right? So a couple points on that. Uh, you, you need, with all these tax laws, Greg, you need to follow really the spirit of what it's trying to accomplish. And so uh, looking at the opportunity zone, 
you can't just invest in an existing business. That's not going to help out the area because you're just replacing existing capital with new capital. So it needs to be either a ground up development if it's real estate or a company that's just getting its start. It's incentivizing companies to, to build their business within the opportunity zone. So it can't be really an existing entity or business that's already you know an ongoing concern. But if I wanted to start a new restaurant in an opportunity zone fund area, then that conceivably could be an appropriate opportunity zone investment. Absolutely would be, yes. So 1031s for real estate uh, into a DST at the tail end. Opportunity zones uh, can can shelter, and that's a very important point that you made that the listeners need to know. It's the gain itself. So again, that that Apple stock kind of example, you've invested $300,000 in the Apple stock. It's now worth a million dollars. Uh, you can take the $300,000 and do whatever you want to do with it. The $700,000 gain on that gets parked into the Opportunity Zone Fund investment type of thing. Then all the caveats that you talked about, Jason. Uh, is there any other major tool out there uh, to you know deal with capital in transition and reduce the, the what's going to the government share? I'll mention one more, but before I do that... Uh, you know, there is potential legislation that'll enhance the Opportunity Zone Fund. You know, as I mentioned, it's seven, eight years old now. So the original investors, they had a great timeline to defer their taxes. But if you're getting into it now, your timeline is only until 2026 that you get to defer. So it really kind of becomes less and less compelling as far as that deferral goes. And so the current legislation is to extend that uh, out to 2028. In addition, because uh, you know we're at the point where we're four years away from the original uh, expiration of the deferral, you can no longer get a step up because it's not possible to be in it for five years. So they're looking at reenacting the step up in cost basis, which would be retroactive for the previous investors. So I just wanted to clarify that. And you know, for all these investments. We look at it independent of the tax benefits. And so if it's not good on paper, aside from the tax benefits, throwing a bunch of tax benefits into it probably isn't going to make it a good investment. So whether it's a 1031 with a DST or an opportunity zone fund with real estate, we look at the investments on their own and look at the merits of how compelling they are uh, aside from the tax code. So, Yeah. So in regard to the potential tax law changes, isn't it, isn't it the legend of the uh, Opportunity Zone Fund legislation that it was like unanimous, uh, 100% support both Democrat and Republicans to pass it in the first place? Strong uh, proponents. And that's why we feel, you know, we feel that it will probably go through these extensions. Uh, it's really not a, a, a real change to the early re legislation. It's just adding some more time to the clock. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so as we wrap up our conversation about capital and transition and ways to mitigate uh, the impact of Uncle Sam's take on that, is there any other uh, thing that you believe uh, we should chat about as another tool that's out there? So there is, there is uh, one more uh, program that is really interesting and particularly with real estate at such elevated prices right now, 
Uh, it's difficult to have a conversation with the folks that I'm talking with who are selling their real estate. You know, it's good news, bad news kind of situation, Greg. Great news, you've captured a, a high sale price. Bad news, the property you're buying is a high sale, high, high purchase price. And so, uh, you know, we are working on a program that revolves around the installment sale method, uh, which allows you, without going into too much detail, it basically allows you to take your real estate and let the market cool off by going into an installment note using a third party. You're able to sell your asset, not trigger a capital gains tax because you have uh, you don't have what's called constructive receipt. And that's a critical couple words in the tax language. Constructive receipt means it hit your bank account. Usually most of the time when you sell something and the proceeds go into your bank account, game over, you're paying the tax. Uh, opportunity zone funds, you can actually take the money and put it in your bank account as long as you reinvest it within 180 days. Uh, but with the 1031 and the installment sale, you need to use in a third-party intermediary, a 1031, it's called a qualified intermediary with an installment sale. It's just a third party that's got an escrow account so that when you sell an asset, you don't have any, your hands don't touch it. It goes straight to a third-party account. You don't have constructive receipt. And then a third party can actually acquire the asset and structure a note to pay you an installment uh, payment over a period of time. And so that is a creative ways that has a lot of flexibility as far as what investments you can put in that installment sale trust. So stay tuned. We'll have a lot more details coming out this fall. Great. So I'm going to hand it over to Erica, my fly on the wall. I like to always bring him in at the end of these conversations because he's just sitting back there as, as every man. And I know he's got some thoughts because he's going through some real estate transitions and things like that. Um, but if I, if I, I guess the, the takeaway that I would like to leave the, the uh, listener with is taxes in death, right? Inevitability. But, uh, you know, judge learned hand. Uh, my, when, when law school, I, I learned this, uh, this quote of his. Uh, and it rings true that no man has to pay more taxes than he than he than he isn't required to. Okay, uh, and tools like Jason has discussed here today, with some proper prior planning uh, for a ten thirty one through a structured sale, uh, there are ways to get out of the tax trap. Sure, you might. You're still going to have to pay something, but not as much. And if we can cut down that forty percent gob of overall taxes that are part of our lifetime income, let's cut it down. There's more to save for ourselves, uh, and that uh, the opportunity zone fund. That's kind of uh, after the fact. You know, if, you've, if you've got that uh, capital gain uh, that you still need to capture, and uh, and Jason, it's six months or whatever after capital gain event for give or take for you to be able to put it into the opportunity zone. Is that correct? It's 180 days. So yes. Okay. So uh, Eric, uh, there there's still time for you to protect yourself from your sale of the Apple stock that we've talked about throughout our conversation today. So that seven hundred thousand dollar gain that you've got, uh, you know, Jason can help you with that. You know, this is being recorded, right? <laughs> uh, I will say one thing: I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong at the beginning of this podcast on the onset, we were joking around and I said, you know, there's not a whole lot to look forward to, you know, so we're looking forward to some football, but 
Jason, that information is is something for people to look forward to. Absolutely. I mean, it, to, to be able to save on taxes, anybody can look forward to that. So um, I loved it. I loved the information. Jason, this has been fantastic. Like I said, I, I learned a ton. I really appreciate it. If people want to reach out to you and, and find out more information for themselves, people that actually do own Apple stock or have sold Apple stock, which I have not, let's just for the record, <laughs> how can they get a hold of you, Jason? So they could uh, reach me via email. Uh, it's the letter J, my last name, Pischel, P-U-E-S-C-H-E-L at alternativewm.com or by phone, 860-841-1183. All right. And as the orchestrator of the show, Greg, uh, you, again, you bring on great guests. I'm looking forward to episode two. If folks want to reach out and talk to you about their specific circumstances with their finances, can you give them your contact info, please? Absolutely. They can get a hold of me at uh, Greg at DuPont Wealth, D-U-P-O-N-T-W-E-A-L-T-H.com or 614-408-0004. And if you can't recall Jason's uh, name or his email, uh, or you mistype it like I did the other day, sending him the the Zoom invite here, uh, you can get a hold of him through me as well, because uh, he is one of the strategic partners that we work in close conjunction with uh, to help our clients out. Perfect. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being on the show. And of course, our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to Your Financial Advocate with Greg DuPont. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Greg comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. And we humbly ask that you share this podcast, rate it, and leave a review as this actually does help other people find the show. Again, thank you so much for listening today. For everyone at DuPont Wealth Solutions, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Your Financial Advocate. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of DuPont Wealth Solutions. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. 